Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. I am Kevin. He is Scott. It is Sunday morning. We're recording this pretty early Sunday morning here. So if anything comes out of the rest of the day, I got my Lions jersey on. I'm ready for NFL action to kick off. And what a day slash evening of watching college football for like give or take 10 hours for me. Um, I really got to soak it all in. We'll obviously talk about the Michigan State game. We'll go through the offense, the defense, the special teams. We'll give out our play of the game. We'll give out our game ball like we always do. Uh, but I want to start, Scott. Um, it was a big day of college football. You had Bama on the ropes. You had Scott Frost attempting to get himself fired before. I don't know if you've paid attention to this. Apparently, the the way that his contract is structured, after October 1st, there's like a his buyout gets cut in half and that's where everybody's like well he's going to get fired after he is actively trying to get fired before they cut his buyout just as a total like we'll pay the extra seven million dollars to fire you two weeks early i don't care uh it's fantastic but uh scott what what did you get your eyes on around college football besides uh, we'll obviously get to the msu game it was it was a great day uh of football uh, it was one of those sleeper weekends, right? Where you look at the the slate and you're like, oh, okay, you know, there's there's a couple things to watch to to bide the time before MSU comes on, and then that noon slate started with a bang. Um, Texas looked great. I I thought the premonition I had last week of Texas winning against Bama and then going six and six. I for for a a split second I thought I might be onto something. Then they left a minute and a half on the clock against Nick Saban's Alabama up by two points. And I was like, I would have bet ends. my life savings that Bryce Young was going to march them down the field for a winner. I, yeah, there, there was no doubt in my mind at that point. That's way too much time in that situation. And uh, yeah, Texas was celebrating way, way too strongly after that. Um, I think it was a field goal that they took yeah. the lead with. Um it's the same old story with Alabama, right? It happens to them once or twice a year. Usually, uh, usually it's an sec play and not in a non-conference game, but, um, the show goes on. We'll see. I think Georgia is probably pretty unanimously going to be number one after, uh, that performance, but yeah, great, uh, great Bama game. Uh, Texas A&M 
reliving yes. the Appalachian State. Was that was the Appalachian State anniversary this past week or was it the week before? It was I that was a week one game. I'm okay. almost positive, so it would have been the week before. Nonetheless, um reliving the Michigan um Appalachian State upset. That... And perfect too. I don't know why, but as a program, I love Appalachian State. I don't know if you saw the the fans like storming oh, yeah. the town. That was so, so good. Just floods of people in the middle of like the main street there. That was so cool. And I don't know why I dislike Texas A&M so much, but I think it's just because they are like the epitome of the media narrative that basically because you recruit well and play in the SEC that you must be an elite team and they never are, but the media keeps trying to convince you that they are yeah that was a perfect upset that it was, was beautiful it was perfect it was at kyle field so i think did you you picked appalachian state to cover right i did yeah i, I was gonna say i remember making that pick last week i, I didn't thought. think I, I think mason had the money line i did not think appalachian state was gonna go in there and win i just thought it was gonna be kind of one of those ugly rock fight type of like yeah. seven to ten point games Hey, it's in their uh, DNA now. You you have those two updates. I don't care or uh, upsets. I don't care if they're ten years apart or twenty years apart or however long it's been. You could do that twice. That's that's in your DNA forever. Um, yeah, that was a great game. Other upsets across the. I, I think Baylor lost to BYU in the late one. I didn't stay up for it, but I know you watched. Uh, you watched yeah, that, that this one morning. Had- it was like three missed field goals from within 40 yards that all could have won it. And that's just college kicking at its finest. And you want it. We'll get to this later with Michigan State to tie it in. But you wondered why after week one, I was so nervous about the kicking game because there are a lot of bad college kickers. And Baylor BYU was a perfect example of that, man. That was two kickers just actively trying to lose that game. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's something behind this, if it's, if it's even real or just something my brain is, is making up, it feels like college football. There aren't as many, the gap between like the, the good teams, I won't say the greater elite will keep that up, but the gap between the good teams and the bad teams seems to be a lot smaller these days, you know, where like you still have and even Alabama. I mean, Texas might be good. We'll see what their season, you know, how that pans out. But, um, there just seems to be so many games this year between a quote unquote good team and a quote unquote bad team that either end up in upsets or are far more competitive than you would expect. And I, maybe it's always like this early season and I'm just, you know, it's recency bias, but it feels like this year there's just not that many great teams. Yeah. And it it feels like the gap between like a top seven ish team and a top 40 ish team is really not that big. I yeah. mean that we've seen plenty of examples of that already. It's I, it kind of, it started, I think in the COVID year in 2020, you take the fans out of the buildings and you saw like upset after upset after upset after, and you realize all of these kind of factors that play into a good team being great and consistently winning. And you take some of those out of the game and you realize that, the talent levels aren't that different across the board with a couple exceptions. 
Um, and I think that's carried over the last couple of years, which is really fun. Uh, the last big upset, obviously, we can't move on without talking about is Marshall going into South Bend, <laughs> taking down Notre Dame. Uh, I want to like Marcus Freeman, even though I'm not I'm not big on Notre Dame. I think there's plenty of folks who aren't too big on Notre Dame. But Marcus Freeman's just a, the kind of guy that you want to like, man. I mean, I was texting my, one of my Notre Dame buddies and he's just it's a tough look, man. I mean, to, to start your tenure, you want to be excited. You lose Brian Kelly to another job, which, you know, you want to be able to say like, well, we'll be fine without him. And then you lose your first two games. Well, and especially because as a fan base, they were convinced that they upgraded. Right. By the time that that kind of settled out, it was like, well, Brian Kelly was never going to take us to the next level. Anyway, Marcus Freeman, we're ready to go. And it was like, okay, you know, Brian Kelly, as much as people don't like him, he won a lot of games, man. Yeah. And uh, it's it's not easy to coach there. That, that's a bad Yeah, bad so if, you, um, if you're one of those who, who likes to look at the college football playoff picture this early, um, they're out, way out. Oh, yeah. You don't have to yeah. focus on Notre Dame at all the rest of the year, um, which is kind of nice sometimes. You know, I, I feel like it's kind of annoying when Notre Dame's like, trying to peck away a college football playoff spot and they're playing like air force. I'm not one of the types that thinks they play a terrible schedule all year, but when they're playing someone bad late season, when like the, the playoff conversation is really taking shape, it's just annoying to have them in the picture there. Um, so they're gone. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, rankings, if you want to talk about them, Michigan state, probably 10 to 12 range, depending on who we jump and who jumps yeah, that's... us, obviously. Well, like four teams in front of us lost. So there's there's a chance we sneak into the top 10 there. Which doesn't feel right. But also, no. again, if you look <laughs> at the teams behind us, doesn't feel wrong because there's just not that many teams that are consistently playing really good football this year. So, And you know um, what's fun? I, I sat down the other day, right? It was Thursday or Friday. And I almost took a stab at making my own top 25 and putting it out there. I was like, you know what? Let's just have some fun. I got past four, and I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's even like getting to who's number five through number 15. Like there, when I was looking at, because I, I, you look at, at that time before the games had started, and it's like Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, in whatever order, and then if you want to put Michigan up there, like, all right, I can't fault you for that. But even Michigan, it's like you, you start looking at this giant group of teams that you're like, Texas A&M? Like, I, okay, I guess I'll put you there, but I have no real reason to. You know, I don't have any conviction about any who's number eight and who's number 27. I don't know. It's week two. Like, That's the beauty of it, though, right? I mean, that's why we all love college football. Um, and, uh, yeah, so great week of football next week. Again, looks like a sleepy slate, but maybe we'll get a similar storyline to this week. Um, some, I'm sure we'll get some upsets. A uh, last note on, on kind of the national scope here, big Kansas 10 won West a game oh. banner bad day oh, Jesus, yeah. yesterday, Wisconsin going down at home to Washington state. Who's been in a bad place as a program, uh, Iowa, scoring seven points failing to reach double like digits a, again 120 yards of offense or something good and Lord. obviously we touched on nebraska 
doing it again. Georgia Southern losing to Todd Helton these days at home. Um, and they had a chance to win and they took the lead and then they give up a game winning drive at home to that team. It's brutal. Um, and yeah, I mean, Nebraska, the right thing to do as an athletic department is to wait till October 1st. Right. But that means at least what, like three, two to three more games of that product that you have to torture your fans with. So, right. um, I mean, if I'm a fan, and you are not firing him now just because of, I know it's $7 million. I'm never going to pretend like that's a small amount of money, but in the grand scheme of Nebraska athletic department slash boosters, just put the fans out of their misery. They've been dealing with this for so long and they're so loyal. They sell out that stadium every, like, it's a slap. It's a slap in the face to that Nebraska fan base to not fire him now. Now they have to wake up all week knowing Scott Frost is going to be their coach next week, and Oklahoma's coming to town. And I would love to say like, oh, they're going to get crushed, but like, it's Nebraska. They're probably going to lose by five. But watch them beat Oklahoma, and then what do you do? <laughs> you still have to fire him, right? But. <laughs> you hope he loses again before that October 1st yeah. deadline. That's yeah. a bad spot. Yeah. Um, it's fun to laugh at, but honestly, Nebraska, by all accounts, Nebraska fans are like the nicest people in the Big Ten. And like they you said, are. They're, they're I really remember loyal. tailgating. Yeah, they're good people. You don't want to like the, the Schadenfreude is like not, you don't like feeling that way about them, but also you love it. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they come in terms of the Nebraska brand, they come to the big 10. They're like, Oh, we're going to win national championships for the big 10. You know, we're going to be in Indianapolis every year playing Ohio state from that perspective. Obviously nobody hates watching it. All right. So let's, let's get over to the MSU stuff before we do. We are, as you're listening to this, most of week one of the NFL is already done, but there's still Monday night football. And obviously we're just in the beginning of the season, still week two. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. You want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member. Get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And I I mentioned this uh, last week. I, I don't know if anybody has followed my pro tip, but this was my move for I was watching some Stanford USC last night. Get the stream going on your phone. Get your Raycon wireless earbuds in there. Lay down in bed. Tuck yourself to sleep with a little football right before bed. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with optimized gel, t- gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. They're very, very, very comfortable. They give you eight hours of playtime. They give you 32 hours of battery life. And at half the price of other premium audio brands, they got over 50,000 five-star reviews for their noise isolation, their awareness mode, the tap functions on the earbuds. Go to Raycon, buy Raycon, excuse me, buyraycon.com. 
slash TPPN and get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code T, oh, sorry, TPPN15, promo code TPPN15. One more time, promo code TPPN15 at buyraycon.com and score 15% off buyraycon.com slash promo code TPPN15. Okay. Let's get to the MSU action here. We'll start off generally talking about the offense. Scott, I think it's pretty obvious where we need to start this when we're talking about the offense. Um, what's the worry meter now for Peyton Thorne? Because he, this is two games now. I very easily excused week one for not looking sharp because of the circumstances. You know, dad's on the sideline across from you. Week one, all of the things that play into that Friday night. Okay. But then you come in week two, you got all of that behind you. You got a whole nother week to self-evaluate, meditate, do whatever you need to do. And it was more of the same this week, if not a little bit worse. It just, balls are sailing on him. He's not really looking comfortable in the pocket. He's trying to, to get a little antsy with his footwork He's missing throws long. He's missing throws short. It just doesn't look comfortable right now for Peyton Thorne. And it's in two wins. It's in two big wins. And the statistical output through two games is is still pretty solid. But I don't know where we stand here with, with Thorne heading into what should be a much tougher week three against Washington. I... I'll give you why I'm worried and why I'm not worried. Um, I'm not worried because we know he has the game. We know physically he's done it, right? I mean, last year he had a great season. Um, He showed enough. I mean, he's not lighting the world on fire. He's not the next great Heisman quarterback. But last year we saw plenty. We saw enough to go into this year. Like, all right, we have a QB who's solid. He's got the traits to uh, to win a lot of games. He's got the traits to make our team better. But obviously I'm worried because we don't see that anymore. And it leads you to wonder, is he just in a slump? Is he in a rut? Or was something about last year elevating his game that's not around this year, right? Is is the addition of having One, Kenneth Walker nine, standing yeah. next to him in the backfield, taking the pressure off of him, was that the reason he played so well? Um, yesterday, the thought as I was watching him struggle that, that kind of summarized how I felt like he was playing was that he looks like he trusts his receivers too much, which is a weird thing to say, right? You want a quarterback who has a high level of trust in his receivers, but good receivers. We've both readily acknowledged that, right? But some of the throws he was making, and not like the bad, just physical missed throws, but like some of the decisions he was making and the way that he delivered the ball, it looked like he panicked and just went with the Keons down there somewhere like five too many times. Yeah. You know, he would just heave it and expect a play to be made on the ball. And last year that worked a lot for them. This year, it just seems like he's he's putting a little bit less, I don't want to say thought behind it because like, I never played that position, but he just looks like he's, yeah, he's looking for a way to get out of a bad situation by just heaving the ball down the field. 
Um, and he just doesn't look comfortable. I hope it's just like the yips and Jay Johnson can just take him out, you know, practice till 4 a.m., have some transcendent moment, and then the Peyton Thorn of old is back. But, man, we're two weeks in now, and we're out of cupcakes. You know, there's Washington's going to be tough on the road next week, and then we're into Big Ten play, and we already know we're not going to get any easy wins in the Big Ten. So from that perspective, I'm real worried. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it kind of looks like, you know, everybody out there has played any football video games before. Like when you are playing online and your first drive, you throw an interception and the opponent scores easily and, and you're down 7 nothing early and you just start pressing. You're just looking for the deep shots that aren't there. You start making just these horrible mistakes because you're playing video games and you want to hit the big plays to come back. And it's just, you know, there's a tight end running uh, right across the middle for you for a nice seven yard gain. And you just kind of don't see him because you're constantly looking for that kill shot. And I don't know if it's something like that, but it just, he does not look cool, calm, collected, any of those adjectives. I mean, people were making jokes on Twitter. There are certain ways that, you know, might be able to unwind Peyton Thorne a little bit, and maybe he should look into some of those. But, man, it just, it looks hard. It looks labored. It looks difficult. Like, the best quarterbacks always make the position look so easy that you can watch. I'm never comparing these two, but the perfect example of it is Tom Brady, right? You watch Tom Brady play quarterback, and you think in your head after a whole game, you're like, I could probably do that because he makes it look so easy because of the way that he sees the defense and he knows where his reads are and he just he knows this guy's going to be open in about two seconds and he puts it right there and they just keep chunking along down the field. And you're like, playing quarterback doesn't look that challenging. Peyton Thorne is making it look pretty challenging. Every The throwing motion seems labored. The decision-making seems labored. The the footwork in the pocket seems labored. It just doesn't look comfortable for him. So I don't know, man. It's he's gonna have to figure that out. Him and Jay Johnson and Mel Tucker, I'm sure they're gonna have a couple meetings this week here as we travel to another power five opponent on the road. I mean, the nice thing is I think we feel pretty confident in this rushing attack. I know it's through two Mac opponents, but you know, Jalen Berger, Jarek Broussard's one-two punch there, that tandem looks really nice for us. I mean, we ran for, um, what was it? I just had it pulled up here, like 260. Two, 260 yards on the ground. Again, I know it's Akron, but, you know, it's it just seemed like every time we ran the ball, we're getting minimum four yards. And you love to see that. Berger goes for 107 on a six-yard average. Broussard goes for 81 on a five-and-a-half-yard average. Collins comes in, runs for 57 on a seven-yard average. The rushing attack looks pretty comfortable, pretty locked in. But uh, you got to supplement that with a pretty consistent passing game that we just haven't seen yet. Yeah, it was great to see by the end of that game an offensive line that was that was really handling their business and, and dominating the, the other side of the ball. Uh, it took a little bit, right? I mean, if we want to just kind of get into the game flow of this thing, I didn't, I was, I was frustrated at halftime. We were up 24 yeah. and I was frustrated. And a lot of that was probably coming down to Peyton Thorne, just not looking very sharp. But before DJ irons 
Akron's quarterback got hurt, they were moving it and we were getting bailed out by fumbles and we earned those fumbles, right? We forced them, but I was sitting there and I think I texted you guys like, I just, I'm not mad we're getting fumbles. Obviously, I'll always take a turnover, but I would love to see our defense just get off the field, right? I mean, it's Akron. Their offense shouldn't be that good. And this is something with this defense, especially in passing defense, going back to last year, it just doesn't look like they contest the catch enough. You know, they make their tackles in space. They didn't get beat. They didn't give up any, like, broken coverage touchdowns or anything. But it just looks way too easy to get the ball from the quarterback's hand to the wide receiver's hands. And it, against better teams with better athletes at wide receiver that can make more happen after the catch, that terrifies me. We'll talk more about the defense, but it plays into something that I wrote down like in all caps and I made a note of to make sure we talk about. There was a series there where Chuck Brantley had like back-to-back pass breakups and my initial thought was like, all right, Chuck, you, you know, getting in there, making nice plays. Those were both pass breakups that with a better quarterback throwing an accurate football, he's not getting to either of those balls and the wide receivers are completing easy 10-yard out routes. And Brantley made the play. I got to give him credit, but that backup quarterback for Akron was ass. He was so bad. And a competent quarterback who throws that in stride and Brantley is too far away from the receiver that there's no way he would have made covered the ground to make the play. It's like even some of the plays that we made were not made because our defensive backs were aggressive and looking good and sticky in coverage, but because the quarterback just didn't throw an accurate football and allowed them to get back into a play. I, we're, we're getting off track here, but it's just, yeah, it, it didn't seem like if that was a better opponent that we would have obviously shut them out, but even held them much off the scoreboard at all. All right. So what I dragged us into defense. We'll come back <laughs> to defense um, to bring it back to the offense. Yeah. We talked about Peyton Thorne. The running backs looked fantastic. The offensive line by the end was, was asserting their will on Akron's D line. Um, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic with this offense because we know we have not nearly played to our potential on that side of the ball. Um, the running game certainly looked closer to its potential than it has in a long time, Kevin. I know we looked up before this, before we started recording, I looked up the last time we had six rushing touchdowns in one game. And it's funny because we were just talking about this game last week. It was the 73 to 14 win over Eastern Michigan in 2014, uh, eight years ago, same week of the season. So we really haven't seen a rushing attack, which is ironic because we had Kenneth Walker last year. But if we just look at like team rushing, we haven't seen a game like that in a very long time. And that felt really good, especially because we didn't need chunk plays. And that was the other takeaway I had from this offensive performance we finally saw a game where we were able to consistently put sustained drives together that ended in touchdowns. I mean, it was like two yard touchdown, five yard touchdown, one yard touchdown. And I, I love big plays. Everybody loves big plays, but the sign of a good team is one that gets the ball and they don't need to take the top off a of defense to score. Right. You saw, you see it with Alabama. It's like, yeah, they hit their big plays, but also if they need to, they'll just convert on third downs all the way down the field and, and punch it in. 
and that felt really good to see. Yeah, and and again, like I'm not going to complain too much here. It was a 52 to nothing lead, a win, so you know you're kind of nitpicking, but I will say, I mean, you you kind of mentioned being frustrated at halftime. You look at the drive chart. What did we say before the game started? Like if if Michigan State plays to their standard, every play doesn't matter who the opponent is. We're just playing to our standard. There's no reason the starters shouldn't score on every drive until they get pulled out because we're killing them. The drive chart, touchdown, punt on a three and out, touchdown, interception, turnover on downs, touchdown, field goal, end of half, and then start off the second half with a one-play interception drive. And you go on a run there where you punch in four straight drives for touchdowns after that in the third quarter. But it's just, um, yeah, the, the, the starters on offense in the first half didn't come out and make that statement that you were hoping for the final score. You make the statement. It's 52 to nothing. People who didn't watch the game are going to look at that and say, damn, like Michigan state putting, putting down a statement win early, you know, but the first half was not that it, it wasn't you you look around college football as you're tracking the score cast or whatever and you see the the really good teams against the bad teams it's 35 nothing early in the second quarter because their starters go out there they just go touchdown 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 all right let's just melt this game away and it it wasn't quite that again if if dj irons doesn't get hurt i think akron puts 14, 17 points on the board, probably. And and then all of a sudden that, what was it, 34, 24 nothing lead at halftime might have been like 24-10. That could have easily been a 24-10 lead at half instead of 24 nothing. And then we're really sitting there like, guys, what is going on here? This is not looking pretty. I mean, the scoreboard made the the game feel a lot better than it really was. That's just kind of my real takeaway, especially offensively. Yeah, I was watching a little bit of Michigan and Hawaii last night, and um, it was Hawaii's so bad. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are that. They are truly that bad. And I had the thought as I was watching, like, I don't know how Michigan could really get better playing this game. Like, right. It it felt irresponsible to put your players at risk of injury. <laughs> to get absolutely nothing out of a Saturday night game, um, because Hawaii. This is a tangent, obviously, but Hawaii looked like we were we were chatting in our group chat that I I usually hate the like oh Alabama could compete with the worst NFL team or like oh the worst college team could get beat by the best high school team. I was watching that Hawaii team, and like you find me an elite IMG. Yeah, you put an elite high school team against them, and you at least have a ball game. Yeah, uh, they were that bad, but um, yeah, it was frustrating because, like, the final score say what you want, and honestly, they, if there's a silver lining to this, it's that none of the AP voters watched this game. They're going to see fifty-two nothing, and they're going to pencil us into wherever you know that score gets Great us. Point. Um, yeah, it was just again. You know, last week I complained. I'm like, I just want to crush somebody by like 60 points. And like, we basically did that. Like they did what I was asking for. And it's still, I'm sitting here like, 
I know. I feel like we're being too negative, but at the same time, I, I think it's justified. It's like in a vacuum, it was a great game. We dominated, and I don't want to lose sight of that. But when you when you put it against the backdrop of the goals for this team coming off an 11 win season, hoping we can replicate that, hope maybe even take a step forward, you project what we're seeing on the field into our future schedule and it and it's worrying. And that's that's where the negativity comes from, um, is that I, I don't we're going to have to improve quite a bit to have another special season like that. Um that said, if Peyton Thorne turns it around, right, if he has the yips and he comes out against Washington and just, like, has a great game going into Big Ten play, I think we're having a totally different conversation, honestly. I mean, the defense, yeah, it still looks like it has its holes. The offensive line still might not be able to push around every team in the com- in the conference. But Peyton Thorne, if he gets his stuff sorted out, I think this team is at least as good as last year's team, just like that. And last note for me on the offense, the, the the nice thing about a 52 nothing win, especially one where your quarterback, you know, has to come out for a few plays there, is you get to see a lot of the depth and the young guys. We got to see the whole second string offensive line, Vandemark at center, which was uh interesting. And then Noah Kim season is he's out there. I mean, the nice thing for Noah Kim, I I won't get into too much hyperbole, but I think we've seen enough through three passing attempts to think that, okay, if Thorne actually does get hurt, I think we have a competent backup quarterback that you Not go against, good. right? That you go against a Minnesota and you say, you know what? I think with the, with Noah Kim back there, we're going to give ourselves a chance. Like he looked, he can put the ball in a nice place. He has a nice spiral to it. He feels, he looks confident. He looks competent running the offense. I, I think we've seen enough through three three passing attempts, but enough that you feel comfortable in the backup if if he needs to get called on. Nice to see Jeremy Bernard out there again making a nice play. Nice to see Tyrell Henry get out there. Almost had that nice special teams play. I I would have given it to him. I I still put it down as a little positive in my notebook as like, Way to get down there, kid. Um, ended up being a touchback. If if anybody had turned the game off by then, he like dove into the end zone to down a punt at the one. But um, nice to see the young guys out there. The other almost of the day that deserves recognition, Jaden Reed's punt return touchdown that got called back that they never showed a replay. Yeah. Was, I, I could gripe about the crew. It's a lame thing to gripe about, like the broadcast and whatever. We're on Big Ten alternate three or whatever. So like... <laughs> Of course, it's not going to be the best production. You're going to get but the D squad. If you call back, if the refs call back a touchdown for the Big Ten team of which your network is covering, you have to show the reason why. I yeah. mean, it's like it's basic first page of the handbook. Come on. You can't take that away and not give us any context. Nonetheless, Jaden Reed still looks electric. He did get banged up, literally banged up by a bench. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw pool noodles on the ends of the bench next week uh, after <laughs> after that. But I've always wondered, you know, I've always worried about that. I'm like, that is a hard object, very close to the sideline. And dudes are just screaming into it all the time. It and the amount seem... of times you see the guys hurdle it. Right. And then there's a cement wall like three yards behind it. And it just shows you how athletic these guys are compared to us, <laughs> that they'll just <laughs> right. effortlessly hurdle a bench land on concrete and stop themselves before the concrete wall. But 
I'd be I'm three or four we... injuries deep by the time yeah. I made it to that concrete wall. <laughs> so yeah. I think we can move on to the defense. Um, you know, we we kind of have already started that conversation, but I think the shutout is nice. Look, a shutout is a shutout is a shutout is a shutout. But I think we can all say that if if their starting quarterback doesn't get hurt, it's not a shutout. I don't think they go out there and score 28, but it wouldn't have been a shutout. They would have had a little bit more yards to to count on at the end of the game, but um, at the end of the day, I think the defense, you held Akron to 3.6 yards per play. You got a couple turnovers that you forced a couple of them. Would you have forced those fumbles against better ball carriers and better teams? Probably not, but a couple of those, you know, I think would have gone your way against a lot of opponents Forced four turnovers. You know, you held them to under a yard per carry. I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you come out of this feeling pretty good about the defense, especially knowing that you were without two of your three or four best players on that side of the ball for the first time without Henderson and Snow. Yeah, the um, the defensive line still looks like a strength for this team. Uh, I think we had five sacks. Five yesterday. sacks, yep. Um, which is great production. Nick Harmon got in on one. Uh, Chester Kimbrough is like... Derek Harmon. What did I say? <laughs> Nick. I don't know where oh, that came from. <laughs> Derek Harmon got in there. Chester Kimbrough came in, had a solo sack. He had those two half sacks last week, so he's he's turning into a pretty productive nickelback um, in that respect and actually looked pretty good in coverage again, too. He's been one of our better uh, defensive backs so far in the year, I think. Um, so if we look at the two positions, right, coming into this game, we wanted to see how does Kendall Brooks look at, with a start and how do the linebackers look um, without Darius Snow. To start, Kendall Brooks doesn't look like much of a downgrade from Xavier Henderson, just like physically making plays. You can say what you want about the experience, the leadership, the communication, all that, but just purely like making plays over the course of the game. Dude is a thumper, forced another fumble, um, didn't notice him getting beaten past coverage. Uh, pretty damn good game and a half for Kendall Brooks. So far. he plays fast, man. He's, he's fun to watch out there. He is closing in on ball carriers. He is, you know, right there. Whenever the ball is thrown his direction he's right there at the point of attack. He, he was fun to watch, man. Yeah, so definitely can look forward to that for however long Xavier Henderson is out. I think Kendall Brooks is a senior, which kind of stinks because with how he's playing, I kind of wish he well, would get like his moment. Uh, and I think he's earned himself. He's going to be in there. They'll find ways to get him in the game. Yeah. I think in a similar way as like a juiced up Justin White kind of from last year where the 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 defensive staff just said, you know, we got to find ways to get this guy on the field. He's so damn fast. That you know, let's bring him on a nickel blitz. Let's do it. It's it's that plus because I think Kendall Brooks will get a lot more snaps than White did last year. Um, but yeah, you got to find ways to keep this guy on the field. He's just a damn good football player. Yeah, yeah. Um, and looking at the linebackers, um, Cal Halliday was in there making a few plays, which is usual and great to see. 
he had a the obviously the sack fumble <laughs> beautiful I, I don't know what we talked about this i do not know how the quarterback did not even sniff i mean you could tell by the way that he got hit it wasn't even a last second thing like he did not know cal halliday was in his general no realm until he felt him um that great play cal halliday will play football I, I mean, if he played all through Pee Wee and stuff, he will play football for 20 years and he will never have a gift wrapped strip sack like that again. Nobody touched him blocking. None of the offensive linemen even looked at him. The quarterback didn't even look at him. I mean, that you couldn't have an easier path to a, a sack and a force fumble. I we We love to laugh at, you know, when when somebody says like, oh, I could do that, but if I've ever seen a football play that I'm confident I could pull off, that one was pretty much as easy as it gets. Just line up, run a straight line, and put your face into the quarterback's chest. It doesn't come any and easier. put your than hand that. on the ball while you're doing it because yeah. he has no idea you're there. You can position your hand or fist or whatever right on that ball, and he will have no idea. <laughs> so, uh, good game or good play there. Good, decent game from Cal Halliday. Nobody on defense, like, really stuck out Amir speed finally it, well i'm going to contradict myself kind of brooks looked great and amir yeah. speed finally asserted himself he got the opportunity to he had a tackle for loss on on that corner blitz where he pretty much tackled him at the at the mesh point with the quarterback um he had Jacoby a Winman but... three forced fumbles we <laughs> we're talking about defensive standouts and that another sack and a machine half. Uh, and a fumble recovery and yep. a pass deflection uh, <laughs> in open space too. It wasn't just like throw a paw up in the pocket. He actually earned that pass deflection. I, uh, you know, this was a this was an off season debate between the two of us. I I'm still thinking that there is plenty of football left for Aaron Brule to make a big statement this year. I think he's going to be a really good football player for us. But I am ready to concede the Brule versus Windman battle through two weeks. I. That kid is, I mean, he's trending towards an all-American season. I, You yeah. know, we can talk about, like, the Heisman, all right, but we all know that's not realistic. But, like, a huge end-of-season goal that is well within his reach, he could be a first-team All-American at the end of this year. I mean, Yeah, yesterday, if you're just looking at games he's played for Michigan State, yesterday was a quiet game for him, um, <laughs> but only because of the bar that he set week one. Yeah, what's he at now? Five and a half sacks four forced fumbles six and a half tackles for loss yeah um dude's playing out of his mind um but we moved him down to defensive end from the linebacker core and the linebackers yesterday kind of a quiet game um ben van sumeren i don't know if you would call him darius snow's replacement he started with him last week so that might be halliday but if you just look at linebackers and we already talked about halliday really quiet game from ben van sumeren and with how athletic he is against an athletically deficient team like Akron, not exactly what I would have expected. And a quarterback so. who runs a lot, right? When you get that running quarterback that they're typically running against linebackers and safeties because uh, your corners are going to be too far down the field to make those plays. Your D lineman might be too slow. That seems right. like a, a, an opponent opponent scheme that would suit yourself to a lot of linebacker tackles but yeah so i mean i didn't see him make any bad plays you know and right and i've only i didn't go back and rewatch this game i just didn't really want to invest the time in rewatching a 52 to nothing win if we're being honest but 
Um, if I do end up going back this week to watch it, I'll key, I'll key in, key in on him. Um, nonetheless, again, shutout against an FBS opponent is always something to hang your hat on. It is always something to celebrate. It is really hard to do no matter who you're playing. I mean, we talked about how bad Hawaii is and Hawaii had what? 10 points against uh, 10 when I turned it off, um, against a Michigan defense. That's probably at least as good as our defense, you know, through and through top to bottom. So, um, it's, it's always impressive. They did have the one missed field goal. So they had a chance and he had the leg, uh, actually, no, I, I think he left it a couple yards short. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So great overall defensive performance, um, in a vacuum. Now back to what I was talking about earlier, um, with just the secondary and guys in pass coverage, not seeming to be in a position to make plays on the ball is something that goes up all the way back to last season. Um, it's really frustrating and it it's not when you watch the, the plays, nobody's screwing up and that's what really scares me, right? It's, it's not guys getting beat. It's not guys falling down. It's not guys losing their assignment and coverage. It's just the way that they're playing, which you would think is just the scheme and what they're being asked to do. Isn't putting them in a position to make great plays. It's putting them in position to limit the damage but it's not putting them in position to make great plays against the pass. And it really scares me that we're just going to see a repeat of last season. Once we start playing better opponents. I, so I just found this while you were talking because I had the same thought last week too. And there was a quote. So there was a, a, I'll, I'll give him a shout out. I don't know if you're listening, Sean Douglas, uh, we were DMing a little bit during the Western Michigan game about the defensive scheme and philosophy and stuff. And then it the the kind of consensus was like, man, I just want our DBs to be more aggressive, man. Like I want our corners to be playing a little bit more press, you know, get in their face. We have long athletic corners that that feel like they they have the athleticism, the length to to play press and not get beat and and make some plays on the ball. Um, last week after the game, Coach Tucker, who has been very intimately involved with the corners this offseason, that was kind of a talking point through a couple broadcasts. He said, I saw this is a direct quote. I saw a strong effort. I saw a lot of contested balls. I saw a lot of catch tackles, guys right there to make the immediate tackle. It's not, it's important not to get the ball thrown over your head. And that was a big point of emphasis for us. And what that tells me is that there is a lot more emphasis on not getting beat than there is on making a play. He seems very satisfied with the catch tackle, which I know is is something that a lot of fans agree on, that I would much rather have you be aggressive and make the play on the ball so that maybe he doesn't catch it than to be in a nice position to make the tackle after he catches it. Because that just seems like you're you're accepting that they are going to catch the ball. As long as you make the tackle after, it's fine. And I just don't like that as a philosophy. And if that's the way that Mel Tucker is coaching the defensive backs, number one, 
it makes sense because everything that we've seen the last two years, you're like, well, wait, that's kind of what they're being coached to do is to, to kind of, okay, if there's a soft zone there and the wide receiver finds a spot there and makes the catch, that's okay. Whereas as fans, we're like, let's eliminate those open zones. Let's try to make it really difficult for the quarterback to complete passes. The coaching staff is more looking at it like, well, as long as we're right there to make the tackle and we keep everything in front of us, we're okay with that. And that's a little bit frustrating for me. I The bend but don't break thing, it it kind of works, but at the same time, it works against bad teams who can't score in the red zone. If you're playing teams who can score in the red zone and who are really efficient running the football and um, and have good quarterback play, you're going to get picked into pieces and you're going to lose games. Yeah, we talked about it last year that the reason that works most of the time in college is because college quarterbacks, college coordinators don't have the patience to just take what a defense is giving you play after play after play and most of them don't and most of and them that's don't. why it usually works but you run into a guy a super efficiency guy like aiden o'connell last year who's like fine if you're gonna give me the first five yards i'm gonna throw the ball into the first five yards every play and see what my athletes can do and it leads to in one or two other parts of your game plan kind of fall through the cracks and don't work out and all of a sudden you're losing a game you're favored uh, yep. Or you play Ohio State and they also can get over the top even when you're playing that kind of protection coverage. And you know, well, we all know what happened last year. Um, it comes down kind of to, to a cover three scheme, right? When you're asking those corners to play the high over the top zone on the outside, they can't let anything behind them. If they play press and they do get beat, it's a touchdown almost every time. Right. So. I get it from a scheme perspective, but man, is it frustrating to watch. And it, it I mean, I'm not saying we're going to lose games because of it. We don't know what the season's in store has in store for us, but. And, and they're God starting the quarterback when he, sorry, I'll, I'll cut you off there. The, the starting quarterback before he went down, he was nine for 13 with 123 yards, nine and a half yards an attempt. The backup sucked, but like if Akron has their starting quarterback out there again, they're probably throwing for 250 yards and putting 17 points on the board. Yeah. So I don't know. It's the, the, the really scary thing about it for me is it doesn't really feel like it leaves any room for a backup plan because it's the foundation of how we're playing defense. So you can't just make a couple tweaks and play a little more aggressive. This is it. You've 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 made your bed for the season with this defense. You're not going to institute a cover four halfway through the year. Uh, this is our defense, and we apparently can't play that aggressively without risking getting exploited over the top. Um, so we're just going to have to hope this works. I think that the production from the front six front seven even with Kimbrough blitzing quite a bit is going to make that a lot easier. Um, as long as they're productive, it's going to give the quarterback something to think about. And it's just going to make negative plays, which is certainly something we're going to need if we're not playing aggressively on, uh, you know, contesting catches, but man, it's just, 
feels like it's limiting the the high end potential of the defense. Yeah. So special teams. Um, let's start with the obvious here. Because, well, Bryce Berenger, he's good. Okay. <laughs> um, Jaden Reed had the return touchdown that got brought back because of a hold that we never saw again, which, you know, is annoying, but I'm sure somebody held, you know, uh, not saying that there's some big conspiracy theory here, but I just wish I would have seen who did it. Uh, that was not English. Um, the, the most important thing though, for special teams, Jack Stone, drills the 43 yarder at the end of the first half makes me feel a lot better moving forward i don't know if you saw in the press conference after mel tucker they were asking him about uh the the freshman kicker and they said in practice they lined him up from the same spot that he missed against western like 10 times in a row and he drilled them all and it i (laughs) i think that was a high risk, high reward practice move by Mel Tucker because that could go one of two ways. He drills them all, and you just sit down with them after. You like, see, dude, you're fine. You you missed that kick once. You know you have this in the bag. Just move on to the next one. All right, you missed the kick. It is what it is. You know, let's move on. And he drills them all, and it's fine. And he comes out this week, drills his kick. Confidence is back up. But if he goes out in practice, they line him up for that same spot. He misses the first two, and then it's just like, oh, God, <laughs> what have we just done? Because now he is never going to forget this kick. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, I guess you just got to test the metal of your guys, right? And that's yeah. kind of what they did, and he came through, and, and we don't have anything to worry about. That but yeah, could have a been a four-year <laughs> mistake situation. Right there, Every right? time he's got a 35-yarder on the right hash, I don't that was, I'd have no idea where that kick was. I don't remember, <laughs> but every time he gets in that situation, you know, the thoughts start to spiral uh, and you end up with a game like BYU and Baylor last night. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Jack Stone looks great kicking mostly touchbacks, which is great to see. Uh, extra points were clean seven for seven on extra points, six for six last week. So clearly has those in the bag, which <laughs> I would think you would expect. But after last season, when Coglin went down, yeah. um, not. No, and again, they, they all look clean right down the middle, yep. high, easy, you know, there's, there's no like, Oh, oh okay. That, that snuck in there. It's just like, okay, drills it. No problem. Move on to the next one. Field so goal that's too. Good field to see. Goal yep. was, it wasn't like a, oh, was it? It. like no, no kind of wobble in it. Just, just perfect kick, which let's just keep building on that. Jackie. Yep. Right at, right as it came off his foot, I knew I could stand up and go use the bathroom. Like that was, <laughs> that was good from the moment it yeah. hit his foot. That, that was nice to see. So yeah, special teams looking good. Bryce keeps booting them. We did bring in, um, he's not on the box score. They gave the credit to Bryce Berenger for all three punts, which was wrong, but we did bring in whoever the backup was for the second of the three punts and it looked okay. It was nothing to write home about, but um, at least it went in the right direction. We've had punting problems too. At the end of the D'Antonio era, we went through that punting cycle. Tyler Hunt was in there. I think there's Tyler like O'Connor. There was like four punters that one him. year. <laughs> yeah. So we know that can be ugly too, when you don't have someone to rely on. So let's not take that for granted. Um, yeah, I do like, Jarek Broussard taking kickoffs. I think that's that's a real great fit. Cade McDonald looked decent on punt return. Um, he's not Brandon Sowards 2.0. He did return a couple of them. Brandon Sowards plus. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all in all, 
I know we got a little bit negative on, on a couple parts because we're, you know, critical and we want to see this team do great things. We're nitpicking. I think we both know that we're nitpicking, right? Uh, we dominated with bad quarterback play. We didn't give up a single point on defense. Um, by and large, got away without major injuries. Jaden Reed got banged up, but it, hopefully it's just like a cut and a bruise, right? And he just kind of tender for a few days and, and comes back to it. It didn't look like anything that was going to linger. Uh, I know Maverick Hansen went down, but um, didn't look like, I don't know, speculating, didn't look super severe. So hopefully we get out of this one without too much uh, damage on the injury report. Um, great game. There's plenty to build on and there's still plenty to go into the film room and improve. And when you can go out, come out of a game with a 52, nothing win and things to, to, uh, to clean up, you're on the right track. So, and that's, yeah, that's a coach's wet dream. So, <laughs> yeah. So let's do these. Uh, we got play of the game game ball. I know both of us struggled a little bit with this because it was such a consistent, steady game of, of good play without really any exceptional plays um mm-hmm. but kevin uh you said you would do your play of the game first so let's kick it off here yeah i've i did struggle with this because there wasn't any obvious plays especially last year it felt like every week there was one easy easy obvious whether it was a punt return touchdown or a 75 yard touchdown run or you know like it seemed like every week there was a couple of just huge monster plays um you know, that maybe we won't get as often this year. There just wasn't a lot of that. Um, But you know what? I, everybody knows I love my kicking game as a former kicker. The importance of this, I, it was, it wasn't the play of the game in the sense that it was the most exciting play of the game, but in a game without too many exciting plays, this was the play that gave me the, biggest immediate reaction live watching the game all these other nice plays that we had it was okay oh nice nice the kicking that 43 yard field goal by jack stone i went oh yes like that gave me the biggest immediate emotional reaction because of the just gigantic weight off of my shoulders and the sigh of relief I'm going to go with the 43-yard field goal drilled through the uprights by Jack Stone. A little unconventional here for play of the game, but the freshman kicker making it look easy. I like it. I uh, I watched that play. My reaction was, damn, Jack, because he, he hit that 43 yards, not a chip shot, and it hit the top of the net, which if we're just trying to project kind of his like max distance, that was easily into the 50s. Yeah, in the um, NFL now they give you that like would have been good from like the MLB home run distance. Yeah. 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 I, um, I think that would have been like 53, 54. Yeah. It it had it had plenty of leg left and it wasn't a line drive either. So I think we've got and he's a freshman. So I think we've got a lot to be excited about in terms of just potential with Jack Stone. Um consistency is obviously more important in my opinion than than max potential for a kicker, but um so far mostly consistent as well. Um, mine, I'm, I kind of took the slant of like what play raised my opinion of that player because he could make it right. Like who really in one play exceeded what I thought they were. I'm going to give it to our one passing touchdown of the game. You know, I've been a Noah Kim supporter 
since he committed. You know, it started kind of sarcastically. I thought it'd be, you know, the t- type of quarterback who was always kind of the scout team guy and just got his degree and kind of went on from there. Um, Noah Kim, man, that was a great play and it's super slim sample size. So I can't say yet he's like got great quarterback potential, but he made his reads. He got flushed out of the pocket. He scrambled to his left. He threw across his body and zipped a line drive to Trey Mosley on the spot for a touchdown. It was the best throw of the game. And Peyton Thorne looked a little iffy, but also made plenty of plays. He actually, Peyton Thorne finished the game 10 for 12. Um, But Noah Kim had the best throw of the day. The only passing touchdown of the day, really the only touchdown that had anything behind it more than just like a punch it in, do what you need to do. Um, So yeah, I'm going to give it to Noah Kim. I think he deserves credit here. I think he, he gave us reason to be, like you said earlier, reason to be at least, um, satiated with that backup quarterback situation, you know, enough that we wouldn't be totally terrified if he was pressed into uh, into a situation where we needed him to perform. So Noah Kim, touchdown. Trey Mosley, also great scramble drill, secured the bag, got it done. Um, yeah, Kim Sanity season, here we go. And we'll flip over. So we've got Jack Stone and Noah Kim getting plays of the game. Probably the last time that that, that, that will be the combination, but you never know. Uh, Hello, let's bingo move, card. Yeah, let's move over to the game ball. Uh, Scott, I'll let you start off with this one. Who gets your game ball? All right. My game ball goes to Ephraim Reed, our running back. Ooh, coach. okay. I like that. Um, I didn't want to do like the, I'm going to give it to the, the running back room. You know, I'm like, who can I, what one person, the running backs looked great. Six rushing touchdowns, Berger with three, Broussard with two, Collins with one. None of the touchdowns were crazy, but all of them averaging over five yards a carry. This is also a credit to the offensive line, right? The, the uh, running back room should take them out to dinner. It was a great performance by the running game all in all. Um, yeah, Matt many, Millen said how many times that there should be a Jalen Berger on campus from his <laughs> like at least nine. They got to get him off the mic. I was sitting there, and by the end of the game, I would say I, there was like four straight things that I said, and then Matt Millen said, and I'm like, this dude's not adding anything to this man. He's just a <laughs> like a cheap contract for BTN when they need it. It's but, just a name that they yeah. like. People will recognize him for our D game broadcast, for better or for worse. I mean, I I don't think you put him in a booth in Michigan and expect people to love seeing his name <laughs> pop up, but at least there is some name recognition. What a fall from grace. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, the running back room, great week. They ran hard. Um, Jarek Broussard really starting to show what we thought he had. Um, Berger had another good game, so I'm not saying you know Broussard was, was better or worse than anyone else, but making dudes miss consistently. He had one run that frustrated me. with It was that fourth and one, and he made a couple guys miss, had great potential, and then tried to make one extra guy miss instead of just pushing through him. But nonetheless, everyone in the running back room, great game. Ephraim Reed, the running backs coach, gets the game ball and, and gets to celebrate with the guys. Yeah, and good to see Eli Collins in there making an impact. I, I I like that call. That's a little off the off the radar as well. We're sticking to that trend. Um, good call there. I I'll go with an on the field player, guy that we've talked already a, a quite a bit about, pretty glowingly. Kendall Brooks. He was the guy that kept standing out on defense. Every hit he makes. He comes in with bad intentions, man. He he loves to hit. He plays physical. I love that. He's constantly around the football. He plays fast. 
He had uh, that nice pass breakup in in coverage down the left sideline there. They threw it deep. He had really nice recovery speed on that. Gets up as soon as the receiver flashed his hands. He got his hands up, swatted that ball away, did it exactly how it's coached. Uh, he had a forced fumble. I, I feel really good about you start looking at some of these depth guys, especially some of these kind of more versatile depth guys that, you know, if a guy like Darius Snow or Xavier Henderson, who are both extremely versatile pieces on the defense, go down and you start thinking like, man, we just we don't have anybody who can fill that role. Like Kendall Brooks started making me think about could he kind of fill that Darius Snow role where it's third and long, like this this part of the Darius Snow role at least, where it's third and long and you got your kind of pass coverage defense set in there? I think you could put Kendall Brooks in at a linebacker spot on third and 12 and feel pretty good about it. And if uh, if something is longer term than we think with Xavier Henderson, which again, knock on what I, I think most people expect him to be back next week or two weeks from now, um, you feel really comfortable with him filling into that spot. So I, I loved that performance from Kendall Brooks. He he played awesome. Yeah, he has been probably the biggest positive surprise of the season so far on this roster. You could argue Jacoby Winman as well, but you never know what you're going to get from a, a first-year transfer. Um, Kendall Brooks, nobody had him circled on a roster. Like Jacoby Winman, people were watching. We're like, we've seen him make plays at UNLV. We're hoping he'll make plays here. Kendall Brooks was completely absent in the general, you know, shared consciousness of MSU football and uh, has come on with a vengeance. Like you said, he's just loves to hit. And you can tell, man, I mean, he just, he, he hits with power and plays well in coverage and just is not that big a physical downgrade from, from the guy who is starting ahead of him, which is obviously great to see you talk about the depth and building a successful program and, finding guys who you don't take a step back if you lose them. And, and he's that kind of guy. So yeah, I'm excited. I, I, I'm can confidently say I'm looking forward to watching Kendall Brooks play more football. Yeah. So we're, we're just over an hour here. Let's close this thing out. I want just some closing thoughts, like, you know, a little mini monologue to kind of sum up the game here. I just to kind of make it quick. I think the, the biggest thing for me our friend Colin in our group chat, who didn't go to Michigan State, who watches most of the games with us, but um, isn't a big diehard Spartan like the rest of us, he kind of texted in the group chat before the game about that 34 and a half point spread. He said, you know, how confident do we feel? And my response was, if Michigan State plays their B-plus game, we'll cover that spread. I think Michigan State played a B to B-plus game and easily covered the spread. So at the end of the day, I mean, the the quarterback mistakes are very glaring because it's the quarterback, but you ultimately look at this game as a whole. I think Michigan State played like a, a solid to low B plus the rest of the way through. You easily cover, you pitch a shutout, which is hard to do against anybody, 52 to nothing, and you move on to Washington next week feeling pretty comfortable. Yeah, obviously coaches love to say the best teams get better throughout the season, and I expect that will happen with this team. Um, but if we played, if we continue to play at the level we played against Akron, we will 
we will win games, even if we don't improve in, and we'll win them in the big 10. And that is a great place to be. Um, I think this team has a, has a pretty high floor. Um, the ceiling is still in question with obviously all the things we discussed today. You come out of this game feeling great about the running game. If they can continue to be productive, obviously that takes a ton of pressure off Peyton Thorne's shoulders. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I do, I feel like an asshole being frustrated at all after winning 52 nothing, especially against a, a FBS, um, uh, opponent, but I do. And I, I want to be honest about that. You know, there's things that frustrated me. Um, I'm still nervous because w- if we run into the same lows we did in the first two games on the road, it gets a lot sketchier really quickly. When you have a home field, you're comfortable, film familiar surroundings, the crowds behind you are at least just not in the game, right? They're not against you. It makes it a lot easier to dig out of momentum holes. If we find ourselves in similar early game situations at Washington or into the Big Ten season on the road, that's where I get really concerned. But the one thing that can steady the ship real quickly, especially when you're having offensive trouble, is a solid running game because you don't have to make reads as intricately as you do throwing the ball. You just put your head down, you get your yards, and you keep the ball moving. You run the clock, you shorten the game. It's a steady way to play. So all in all, I still feel pretty good about this team. There's there's certainly holes that need to be filled. There's things that need to be turned around. Peyton Thorne needs to get his yips sorted out one way or another. But it's a good team. People have been saying pretty consistently this season that it it should be a more top to bottom talented team than it was last year. And I think we're seeing that I, you, you look at guys like Kendall Brooks coming in and just not taking a step back. That's, that's a sign of a team like that. So yeah, I feel good. There's still questions that will keep this season very engaging for us. And I just saw Michigan State football posted this, I guess, last night. I didn't see it, that this was the largest shutout win for Michigan State since 1957. Well, fun fact for you. So uh, I think that about does it. If you uh, are still listening after an hour of 52 to nothing Akron recap, I give you credit. We will be back with you on Wednesday to preview the Washington game. I'm very interested to, to go and watch uh, what they've been doing the last two weeks because they have put up 97 points through two weeks. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued by that. So we will go watch some Washington tape. We will get our takes ready. We'll preview that Washington game on Wednesday. We'll give you our week three picks on Friday and the season goes on. If you are still listening, that means you must like us and you want to share with your friends You've got a lot of Michigan State friends out there who are texting you now about these football games that are going on, and you can just send them our way if they want a little extra um, Michigan State football content to get them through the week. We really appreciate any referrals. If you can leave a review for us as well on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, we would truly appreciate that as well. Again, if you're still listening, it must be for a reason. You must like us a little bit. So appreciate everybody for sticking with us. We'll talk to you guys Wednesday. Have a great start to the week. Go green. Go white. Take care, folks.